Hi guys and welcome to the third episode of uh, Buddha Talks. Um, I'm joined today by former Waterford Ladies Manager, former Waterford Senior Hurling Selector and Manager and Westmead Senior Hurling Manager, Michael Ryan. Michael, how are you doing? This podcast is all about um, trying to the wisdom of former managers and current managers and you're, you're obviously still at the helm yourself. But uh, what's the first moment, my, uh, Michael, that you considered going into management or did it just fall upon you? I suppose it happened by accident, really, back back a long time ago now. I mean, it's, it's in, the, in the 70s, the local ladies football team asked me, asked me to look after the team, and I did for a year or two. And then I was involved in underage coaching. I suppose in the 70s, there was no thing as a manager. It was a question of a team trainer and a few selectors. Which I think the team manager didn't really come on the scene until the 80s. But I, I almost fell into it by accident, you know. But over the years, I've enjoyed it. I've had some great times, been involved with some great athletes and some great players. So it's been a very enjoyable experience. Your your current group of uh, kids, let's say, are steeped in in Waterford at the minute. With the girls and Shane, obviously, is on the, the Waterford hurling panel at the moment. Yeah, so three girls uh, would have played for Waterford for many many years. They're actually concentrating on club now. They're giving up the county. That was Michelle, Louise, and Shane. Three daughters played for Waterford for many many years and played for the club here as well. And Shane would have played football for Waterford for a couple of years, and now he's on the hurling panel. So I suppose in every room in this house, you'd find a pair of football boots or a hurler. You'd be falling over them. So. And my wife Kate as well was was you know was a decent player and she played for Ballymac and played for Waterford. So everybody in this house has been involved in sport all their lives. I remember talking to you before, Michael, and you told me a story about uh, that you had to drop your wife for for a final at some stage. Tell us that story. And I suppose you know, the problem with, with me with the other teams is I'd be I'd probably be very hard on my own. I'd probably be too hard on my own. But I remember one particular time I dropped my wife, and let's put it this way: there wasn't much talk around here for a few days, and she was very disappointed. And uh, that, that would be a failing of mine. It would be very hard on my own. That would have applied to my daughters and my cousins as well over the years. But she certainly wasn't pleased and she let me know in no uncertain terms. <laughs> no harm, Kate. Has to put manners on you, I suppose, a lot of the time, you know. Uh, your first gig, uh, Michael, um, did it go well for you? Yeah, well, look, I, as I said, I took over the Bellamy Carabao team in 1975. It's a long time ago now. I was there for a year or two. We won the championship. And then I got involved in, under, in underage football and holding in Ballymac. And by 1979, I was one of the youngest players on the other team, but there was nobody to, to, to train the team. I did a coaching course in Dungarvan in 1978. And the reason I did it was because, like most fellas got involved, nobody else, the club were asked to send a representative, and nobody else would go. So I went and did a holding coaching course with people like Ned Power of Tallow, John Henley of Clare, and, and, and Joe McGrath from Down, who was actively involved with a number of other county teams. I suppose I got the coaching bug from that and the following year then I was asked to train my own intermediate hurling team here in Ballium Carberry, Formal Water is the club. The separate clubs, Formal Water and Hurling, the Northern Football. And we're looking up to win the championship that year. So I suppose it just spiraled from there. And after a year or two of that, one or two outside clubs asked me to get involved. So I suppose I was more or less up and running by that. Yeah. Uh, influences, Michael, did you have money from around the club or, or did you look further afield? Well, I suppose, first of all, my biggest influence as a young as a young fellow going to coaching was a fellow called Willie Prendergast, who took over our minor hurling team back in 1973. You now we had we had been struggling very much at underage, and we'd been we'd been hammered by a team called Tello a couple of years before that at under 16. They beat a 16 6 to 1 1. Imagine that's some that's some trimming now. But Willie came in and took over our minor hurling team in 19 in 1973. He behind a total new regime as a girls, you know, preparing very very well, coaching, tackling, who can block, and all the things going to make up a team. And we actually turned that result round and beat Tallow in the Western final by a pint and went on to win a county minor hurling championship. 
So that sowed a seed in me, I suppose, and also taught me the importance of good preparation and good coaching. And, you know, kind of, I realized what could be done if, things were, if teams were prepared properly and if everybody bought into what you were doing. So from that day forward, I've always had a vested interest in coaching and, and, and team management and preparation. Good stuff. Michael, tell us the story, um, another story that you, uh, that you told me about. We, 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 uh, the story about the under-21 county final and the penalty. Yeah, well, no, the penalty is a slightly different story. Now, um, just under 21, first of all, we were, we beat the under 21 match in, in Capaquin in, in the Western final, which was my last year playing under 21, and I got a, I got a dig in the mouth and lost it out of my teeth. I was coming off the field, and I was absolutely furious. And I said to one of our so-called mentors at the time, I said, we had a great team. If we had anybody to prepare us, we'd have won this championship out. And he said to me, why don't you take on the job? And I said, I will next year. And I went to the AGM, looked for the job, got the job. We ended up winning the county championship, and uh, you know, so I suppose that that was that was a, that was another step on the road for me. But go back to the penalty, and uh, when the penalty back in, the, in 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 for the early years of the association, back up to the, to the mid seventies, in order to get a penalty, you had to be fouled in the small square. So there wasn't many penalties in matches. So I suppose the GA realised that you know there was a lot of fouling going on to try and, and cut out fouling in around the goal. They decided to enlarge the the, the the box and make bring it out to the fourteen meter line. So anyway, I decided I take taking penalties very very serious. So I was going out to the midfield every evening, or a couple of evenings a week with two young fellas called Brian Norris and Tommy Norris, and take my penalties and practice. You know, practice really really well. And I had a very good record early on, and I think I got the first twelve out of twelve. But then I missed one in a, in, a, in a league game in Dungarvan against Belenacorty. We went into the local that night, and a fella called Tommy Tommy he, Tommy Healy Ryan. He said to me when he heard I missed a penalty, I wouldn't blame you. And I thought he was going to praise me. He said, I blame the fellas that lift you take it. <laughs> so <laughs> that, was a, that was a very good comeback down to it. Yeah, you were <laughs> just back down to back down very, very quickly. Um, in terms of Michael going into inter-county management, um, you obviously were very successful with the Waterford ladies and, and so on. Um, just going with the ladies, first and foremost, the backroom staff that were with you, did you have a, did you have a number of people with you or were you just there with, with an odd selector here and there? What way was the ladies set up then? Just to get back into it, to the start of that, maybe maybe just to fill you in a little bit from the start. I got involved in Belly Maccabi Ladies Football Club again in 1982, and it was actually against my wishes. I didn't, you know, I was playing myself hurling in football. We were beaten in the first round of the championship hurling in football. In those days, it was a straight knockout. If you lost one game, you were gone for the year. My wife, Kate, and my sister, Bernie, were trying to get me involved in ladies football. So I went down to the field one day, and I hadn't much interest in it, to be honest. And I was trying to figure out the best way to get out of this. And uh, I took, took a group of players, and I went through a very hard training session, and you know, it was, it was tough going. And then I realized, you know, they, they, they were working really hard. I said, how am I going to get out of this? So I said, we'll train again tomorrow night. And the training session was very, very tough. I thought there'd be nobody there tomorrow night. But the following night, there was, there was 17, two extra players there. So we were up and running. We won the championship. And down the Strabble, I remember it well. And when we won that county final, I felt, you know, this is the end of this now. This is a, very, this is a young team. They don't need me anymore. And I thought the whole thing was finished. But a, a girl called Eileen Fitzpatrick bought me a pint. I remember it well down in the clubhouse in Stradbilly. And just as I'm taking a sip out of the pint, she, somebody asked, when is the Munster Club Championship starting? Now, I nearly died because I didn't think, I thought the whole thing was finished. We got into that. We got stuck into that. And we had a couple of tough years. We lost a couple of Munster Championships. Then we won one. Then we went on to win an All-Ireland Club. And I suppose, you know, the, the, the seed was really sown at the end. And in those days, there was only a couple of clubs in Waterford. And Waterford had, were struggling to feel the team. So Belly McCabry represented Waterford. And uh, the club team represented Waterford. And then we brought in a couple of players from around the county. We found a couple of more players. But 
we won a June on the land in 86 and then we got involved in the scene and we had a couple of battles with Kerry eventually won the scene in 1991 and went on for a great way to run in the 90s we won five scene of allowance we played in eight finals in that decade a really fantastic group of players who were dedicated and interested in and who worked really hard really hard so suddenly we were the top team in the country and we had come from nowhere really and uh, it just proved again what you know what I always thought that if people work hard enough anything is possible so so there I was you know, I was involved in county. I actually managed to water for team for 24 or five years, which is a long time. Good stuff. Uh, and, and brought plenty of silverware back to Waterford. Yeah, we had some good times. You know, as I said, we, you know, we were lucky enough to have some great battles with teams like Monaghan and Mayo and, and uh, Kerry and other teams as well. So, but in 19, in, in 2006, I mean, I, I decided to step back from it because I had three daughters on the team. And I don't think, you know, it's a good idea to be the team manager if you have three daughters playing. Yeah. Even though unfamous, they were all the place on the team. But so I stepped away from them in 2006. I remember our last game was up in Breffney Park, up in Cavan. And uh, I came home anyway. I told the players, you know, it's time for a new voice. I felt I needed something different. And I was sitting down at home here the following night, and a friend of mine called Pat Grant rang me and asked me what I'm interested in becoming a selector of the Water for Hollows with Justin McCarthy. So I thought about it for a day or two and said I would. And then, then that took off and spiraled again. Going from managing to being a selector to be under someone else's maybe a different routine and a different way of management. How did you feel? How did that go for you? I suppose it was a good learning curve because I mean, it's certainly a big step up to get involved in the county men's team, particularly Division One team, one of the top teams at that time. Waterford were monster champions in two of the previous four years. They were one of the top teams in the country, yeah. and uh, Justin was a really good manager and a good coach and good. He was good fun to work with as well. So I like to think I learned something from that, but. You know, I mean, the, the attitude of the players was very similar to the ladies. That they had, the men's team were good, good lads to train, but they weren't any better than what I was used to with the Waterford Ladies football team. So, we had a great year in 2007. We won the National League, BK Kenny in, 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 in the National League final in Torlos, and then went on to beat Limerick in the Munster final. Actually, we played Cock four times that year. And Cock were a team that won the Ireland in 2004 and 2005. We played them four, actually, we played them five times that year, and we won four of the games with the other one. We beat them in, in the National League. Beat him in the league semi-final, beat him in the Munster semi-final, and beat him in an all-all quarter-final replay. So it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a really good year. Unfortunately, it came to an end when Limerick beat us in the all-all semi-final. And there we were probably caught napping. And Limerick scored four, four or five goals and we lost that game. So we just ended for a year and a half and then suddenly, you know, there was a bit of a unrest in the Waterford camp the following year. Justin stepped away from it. So that was my term, my first time at Waterford. I was I was a selector and I was the mayor form as well. So an enjoyable time, but... It was a pity you came to an end the way you did, but anyway, I suppose that's, that's life. And then uh, you, you took over the Waterford Hurlers after that. Um, how did that come about, Michael? Well, I was involved with, with Mullinahone and Tipperary. Owen Kelly, Tipperary Hurl, asked me to get involved with Mullinahone. And then the lads in Delisle, who were not through Waterford, Brian Field and, 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 and uh, John Milan asked me to get involved with Delisle for a year, which I did. And we won the Waterford County Championship and we won the Munster Club and beaten heartbreaking with defeat. In the Ireland semi-final, the Clarence Bridge up at Hollis by Michal Dunhill's Clarence Bridge. In the last minute, I've had a time and extra time. They got a goal, beat us by points and at two points, I think, and they went on to win the Ireland final, won it easily. So that was it. I was over. And then the water for holding job came up. And uh, I, I know, I, I, the first time I came up, I went for it and Davy continued on. So naturally, I didn't get it. But the following year, I got a phone call from Paul Finn one day. And people would know Paul Finn, one of Waterford's best ever holders. And he asked me, was I interested? And I said, I don't know if I was interested or not. Kind of, he more or less convinced me to go for it. So I threw my name in the hat and assembled a good management team and 
by the end of 2011, I was the water of Holy Man. Good stuff, good stuff. And uh, putting together your, your backroom team for that, how did that come about or who was with you? Did you sort of narrow it down to who you narrowed it down to? Well, I suppose the problem with county is a huge commitment for everybody. For anybody involved in the county management, it's a huge commitment. So I, I quickly realised that I needed a top-class uh, strength conditioning coach. So I was aware of a fellow down in Kerry from Waterford, a chap called Pat Flanagan, who had, who had uh, done, done the strength conditioning with Kerry a number of all islands. So I rang him, asked him to meet me, and I drove down to meet him. and convinced Pat to join my background team. And then Nicky Cashin came on board. He would have been a selector. Uh, he would have been a selector as well with, with Justin McCarthy and well, Philip Ryan came on board as well. So... Starting off, that was my management team, and we, we didn't have the best of starts. We lost our first three league games, and I would say, I suppose, maybe with a little bit of upheaval in the camp, and a couple of selectors stepped away, but Ken O'Gan came in, and Sean Cullinan. Ken would have been well, probably Waterford's best ever holder, in my opinion. And Sean Cullinan came in, and, you know, kind of, I suppose, together we all steadied the ship, and, and lo and behold, who do we end up playing in the first round of the Munster Championship? Only, only Claire and David Fischold, yeah. who had been Waterford's manager for the previous four years. Cracking game up in Tullus, we came out on the right side of it. And won it, and uh, so that was my first introduction to, to inter-county management. Lost our first three national league games, but then went to Galway and won, beat Dublin, so comfortably stayed up in Division One, and then uh, first round of the Munster Championship. And they were beaten by Tip in the Munster final. Uh, they beat us by six or seven points, but I suppose Waterford had been beaten by twenty-one points by Tipperary the previous year, so maybe that was improvement. I don't know. I don't like losing, but we eventually went out to the championship, beaten by Cork and Tullus in, 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 in the quarter final. On the day of the game, I felt we could have won. Missed a few chances, we were three or four points up, but Cork rallied and won in the end. So that's the way my first year panned out. You talked about the backroom staff and, 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 and so on. Um, in, in terms of putting together that, like a lot of young managers would be looking at this, maybe going into inter-county or even going into clubs. How, what did you feel was, was the right people to bring with you and what traits did they need to have to come on board with you? Well, I think it's very important for any manager to have his selectors have got to have, 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 have their own opinion and their own mindset and uh, everything has got to be thrown up on the table. I like to sit down picking a team with a blank canvas, blank, a blank sheet. I'd also like to think that, you know, when you pick a team, you pick it on current form. And, but uh, the guys with me, in my opinion, you have to have your own mindset. And I suppose you all have your little individual traits and some guys might be to do a bit of coaching. What guys could be to talk to players and win Another guy could be to assess people when the game is on and make quick decisions because when the game is on between half three and five o'clock, you've got to have the answers. Not like, you know, pundits who can look at it at four, four or five hours and by half nine when it comes on the Sunday game or some other program, they have all the answers. You have to think fast. So I'd like to think every fellow would be his own man and they have their own, have their own uh, opinion and you sit down, you trash it out and hopefully come up with the right answer. In terms of down through the years, let it be with Waterford ladies or or the senior men's hurling team or even the West Me team, how did you feel in terms of um, picking panels? Did you do it with trial matches or did you do it with um, just inviting a big panel in to train or uh, and then picking a panel off that or what way? What way did you do it? Well, I suppose first of all, you know, Waterford and West Meath has to be said they are poles apart. I mean, in Waterford you got a much bigger pool of players to pick from and uh, and we've I'd always you know look at club form first of all I suppose we, when I came in we assessed the panel we had we put a plan in place that's where your selectors come into play you know you've, everybody has their own opinions and you all have you know, you've all seen different players and seen different club games I always believed in going to see as many club games as you could now it would have been doing that anyway so I had I suppose I had a bit of an advantage but uh, 
And Waterford, and even when, when it came to training, I found in Waterford, if you needed a couple of extra players in for a training game, if there was an email, you'd have 50 replies. But like a county like Westmeath, we have such a small pool of players. And you probably, I think you've only, maybe 11 hurling clubs in Westmeath. And I've always believed that you can't manage Westmeath like you manage Waterford or manage Cork or manage Chip. It's a, it's a different scenario. But like, I suppose the idea is to get the best players that are available to you. And bear in mind, the G is different to any other sport, hurling, because you have a lot of dual players as well. And even in Waterford, you were okay because the hurlers in Waterford wanted to play hurling. And even if they were good enough to play football, a lot of them were good enough to play football. But they, they would always lean towards the hurling. But when you went to West, my time in Westmead, which is a very, very enjoyable part of my, man, my management time, I found that there was a number of players we'd like to have got into play football, play hurling, but they were they were on the football panel. Uh, just another uh, thing, Michael. You obviously started training in the seventies, and obviously training has has changed so much down through the years. How did you manage the change in training? Uh, was it hard on you, or did you just go with the flow and it was very easy pick it up as you went along? Well, I've always believed you've got to try and change as you go along. I believe you've got to try something different. You've got to try something new. And I would have been. Over the years, I would have been, it would have been no bother to me to jump in my car and drive down to Kerry to see Kerry train or drive to Atten Rise to see the Galway Hollis train. So I would always try and keep keep in touch with what was happening with other teams. And inter-county teams were a good barometer because they were moving with the times and it was, it was a different standard of training. So but by, by doing that, and you know, and also, I mean, I would have, would have gone to coaching courses, gone to talks that were given by the top managers around when you ever got a chance you know, if Brian Cody or somebody else was was was, was giving the chat or at a coaching conference, I'd, I would, would have gone to a lot of those as well to see because it's about picking up anything you can and picking up bits and pieces and gradually the jigsaw puzzle comes together. But, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm still learning uh, as a manager and as a coach. I'd like to think that every day there's always something you can pick up and from another coach, from another, from another county, from another manager and keep your, keep your, ears, keep your ears open and, and listen. And uh, at the end of the day, you've got to make up your own mind, but... You know, new ideas are good, and I've always been an advocate of looking for new ideas and trying, trying being innovative and trying to get new systems in place and try and keep the training varied and interested. But the big thing for me over the years, coaching and, and training and managing, I would like to think that most of the time the ball would be involved. I like to walk an awful lot with the ball because at the end of the day, with your coach and training teams, if you couldn't handle the ball, holding a football, then you weren't going to win matches. Michael, as a, a lot of people maybe listening to this knows, and a lot of people don't know, but I was involved with you with Westmead for a year, and probably, if I was to honestly say, it was probably the most enjoyable year I've ever had in terms of coaching or or being involved with any team, to be fair. Um, I've been in, in a lot of gigs in terms of the Westmead ladies, really enjoyed my time and with Turles Pass, senior men. But that year with Westmead, it was just, it was a great laugh and it was, I learned an awful lot. But the, the one thing I got off yourself and Michael Walsh uh, throughout the year was that how good you were, probably at linking in with one another in terms of good, good cop, bad cop at times, but the two of you are really good man managers. Do you think that's really important in today's game? I think it is, Alan, because if you're going to get Phyllis to commit, to any inter-county setup, you're probably talking about three off. You're talking about four times a week, maybe five times a week with, with, uh, with training, with, with, with strength and conditioning. And, you know, it's a huge chunk of their lives. So you, if, you, if you don't manage to set up properly, if, if you can't get inside people's heads and uh, encourage them to come with you, and there's a lot of individuals as well. Individuals are different, you know. Some of them might need a, an, an arm around them. Most of them might need a bit of a rollick. And so, you know, Michael and myself, I suppose, we, we bounce things off one another. We would have discussed a lot of things between ourselves, and then maybe brought it to the table as a girl's preparing a team. 
Well, I think it's, it's very, very important. And uh, I think in order to get the best out of some fella, you've got to be able to get inside his head. You've got to be able to convince him that, you know, give him confidence and you've got to treat him with respect. And uh, you've got to have a bit of a laugh as well because I can't help but think sometimes the game has gone too serious and people are expected to train so many nights a week and, you know, everything is regimental. And, and, and uh, but I like to think, you know, that there should be a bit of fun as well and throw in a few jokes and have a bit of people have to be able to laugh at themselves and have a good time and try and get everybody going together. But it's all about man management because if you can manage the group properly and if the management team as a unit and they all have different traits, if they can all work together and deal with maybe break it up into dealing with a couple of fellas each or if something goes wrong, you can discuss it. So I think man management and man management, man management is, is right, which is absolutely crucial. And if you can't get that right, then the chances are you won't succeed. Yeah. No, I agree completely. Stats and tactics, Michael, it's, it's, uh, it's after coming into the game big time over the last number of years and uh, video analysis and so forth. Would you have put, put uh, much focus on these when it comes to preparing the team for leading into a league or a championship match? Well, would you believe it? I think my wife bought me a video recorder back in 1982. From 1982 on, we're recording all the ladies' football matches, which is probably wouldn't have been heard of around the country in those days. So I've always, you know placed a good deal of, 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 of importance on things like video analysis, number one. And I think, you know, players benefit. If you can show the player a clip of something he did right or something he did wrong, he'll find it much easier to understand. And hopefully, hopefully in the case of doing it wrong, it won't happen again. Yeah, I would, stats would be, I wouldn't be as big into stats as I am to video analysis because I'm at, the end, at the end of the day, and they all go with these trackers on their backs and they can say you ran so many miles and you did this and you did that. And, uh, but the tracker won't put the ball over the bear for you. That's down to individual decisions by players. I would think they're very important. Uh, the video analysis, I think, in particular, is very important. Stats, obviously, if some fella drives the ball wide five or six times in a match, he's got to be doing something wrong. So, you know, it's important to know about it. It's important maybe to be able to correct it. And I suppose the biggest thing of all as a girl, stats, if you're on the sideline in the heat of battle, sometimes you might find it hard to pick up the fact that the right half back has conceded three or four frees or his man has got two or three points and he's lost his man once or twice. So it is important I wouldn't say it's the be-all and end-all. It's just part of the whole scenario. And, you know, it is, it is essential. It is important. But there's a whole package goes into it. There's much more than that. I, I just think there's maybe too much focus is put on some things and not enough on others. And maybe, like, as you said, stats and tactics aren't going to put the ball over the bar for you. It's up to the player and the player to make that decision himself on the, on the day, you know? There is such a thing, Alan, I think there is, there's such a thing as overanalysis, and I call it paralysis by analysis. When you, when you analyze a thing and, you, and, you, and management, uh, managers and coaches sit down with players and they feed so much information into people's brains. At the end of the day, they're wondering, when you have 10 different scenarios and you have, you have about a quarter of a second in a match to make up your mind, I mean, this is a split second, particularly hurling. Hurling is a game of instinct. It's a game of players making individual decisions. And make them very, very quickly. So, you know, I, I, I would think that there is, uh, we are guilty of sometimes giving fellas too much information and clogging their brain. At the end of the day, they're wondering, they give so long thinking about what I should do next, that it's too late and the chance is gone. So instinct should never be taken away. Uh, fellas, brain working and instinct, they are the most important things involved. Because if you can react to any given situation, and, and you know, in a match, there's a lot of different situations can, can evolve in a match. And you have things like who can block and down I mean, you, you, for instance, you have a fellow wound up to drive the ball 80 yards up the field, and the next thing he's hooked, and suddenly he's gone over the bear on the other end. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a huge factor. And the one thing as well is discipline. 
Discipline is so important that, you know, the people are disciplined, don't give away silly freeze. I've always believed if you're near enough to fool somebody, you're near enough to tackle them and push on them. But Just going on, uh, Michael, attributes of a coach or a manager, what would you reckon is the best uh, attribute that a coach stroke manager needs to have to succeed in the current game? Well, the first thing I think you need to do, in my opinion anyway, is you need to treat people with respect. Because if, and you've got to set high standards. And if you don't treat people with respect, you can't expect them to treat you with respect. I mean, uh, and, and then you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to have a good setup. You've got to you know, obviously know your game because and know what you're at. If you don't know your job, I mean, players will quickly realize whether, whether you're up to speed or whether you're capable of doing your job or not. So you have to, got to know the game inside out. You've got to have a good background team. You've got to, be, you've got to have good practice. You've got to be even small things like punctuality. You know, there's, there's a whole series of things that goes into making up a team and goes into, goes into, goes into a performance. You've got to have good training, good coaching. You've got to, uh, strength and conditioning has got to be good because, you know, in, 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 in these days, it's very, very important. I do think it's gone a little bit overboard as well now. At the end of the day, we're almost building, I wouldn't say rugby players, but it has changed significantly. I mean, people like Pat Flanagan would have changed the role of strength and conditioning very much so because in the early days, fellas were doing so much weight, so they were bulking up. They were like mini tanks, but nowadays it's all about it's all about speed and 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 and, uh, and quickness and and and, and obviously strength is is, is a part of it. But there's a whole series of things that goes into it. And as a manager, if you're not on top of it all, and remember, the manager has got to manage the entire setup. He's got a lot of different individuals to deal with, but you've got to have a good setup. You've got to work hard. You've got to treat people with respect. You've got to put good training sessions in place. Everything has got to be right to win a championship. It doesn't make a difference whether you're trying to win a championship with your club or you win, win an All-Ireland with your county. Everything has got to be right. At the end of the day, you know, you start off looking for the Lee McCarthy. There's probably 12 teams in it. What's a successful manager? If it's to be, if, if, if winning the All-Ireland is to be deemed as, as the barometer, then there's only one successful manager and the other 11 have failed. I don't look at it like that. I think it's all about trying to improve your team as you go along. To get the best out of the group of players you have, that's as much as any management team can do. And to do that, as I said, you've got to have all those qualities and you've got to have all those things in place and you've got to have a good management team. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, in terms of going to uh, picking teams, Michael, um, obviously you've picked many a team down through the years. Um, telling players that they're not starting, telling subs that they're, that they're obviously not starting, but they're in with a chance of coming on. What way did you do that or what way would you advise other managers coming up to do? Would you advise them to tell a player if he's not starting and maybe try and get the best out of him or would you think maybe there's too much conflict and just call the team out and deal with it later? I think timing is very important. I mean, if you're not playing till Sunday, you can't, you know, if you're training on Wednesday and Friday, training, training on Tuesday and Friday, I don't think you can announce, it, you can announce the team on Tuesday because at the end of the day you have another training session coming up and then... Uh, People, with the best nature in the world, people will sulk and people will be disappointed. But having said that, my, the way I approached it all my life was, if I felt somebody was being dropped, or, you know, I, the first thing I would, I would definitely tell them, and I would call them aside, and I suppose my, 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 my line always is, there's no easy way, to, when I'm talking to a player, there's no easy way to tell you this, because a player is going to be disappointed. But I, I believe, out of respect to the players, they deserve to be told, uh, from a management point of view, is, is trying to keep everybody happy. And that's almost impossible because when you think about it, if you have a panel of 30 players 
the first 15 are usually going to be fairly happy. The next three or four might be somewhere happy they're going to come on. But there's usually a dozen players who, if they're not playing regularly, they can't be happy and they shouldn't be happy. So as I said, I would, you know, I would try and tell the players, I'd always tell the players you're not playing. As the girls, I think the subs, the people from, from 15 to 30 need feedback. You need to tell them exactly where they are. And in, in some cases, fellas will be improving and fellas will be doing well. But if you want a fella to take, take another step up the ladder, I think you've got to give him a bit of hope. And the hope comes from saying, look, you're doing well, you're improving all the time. Here's a name the things they're doing well. And also, you know, don't be afraid to tell that player the things he needs to improve on. Because I think in general, players respond to feedback and they respect feedback. So, you know, that's the way I would have approached it over the years. And, and uh, even when I was at war with people like Ken and Sean Cullen, I remember one year Tony Brown was left off. And, you know, we, we always be even talking to the players and let them, let them know exactly what's happening. I think that's important. That's the least the manager can do. Of course, somebody's, some fellas don't do that and they're entitled to do their own way. They might drop a bombshell in, 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 in the day of the match and a fella might find out he was playing. But I think fellas have to know in advance that they're playing because you must prepare yourself mentally for the game. And uh, if you don't know you're playing, you can't do that. And I think, you know, in fairness to the guy who's been left off, he needs to be told that he didn't make the team. But he's also maybe he needs to be told even though he probably won't want to listen to it. He needs to be told exactly why he's not starting. Some of it can be tactical as well. A guy can be left off and, and the thinking behind it can be, you know, maybe he can give us something extra in the last 15 minutes of the game. But overall, that's the way I, I would have approached it over the years. In terms of uh, days of championship, pressure and game day, obviously when you're an inter-county manager, there's major pressure and there's a lot of focus on you going forward. Um and a lot of people maybe following you throughout the day, wondering how you're reacting and stuff like that. What, what were you like at home with Kate and the kids in the early days compared to the later days? Or did you ever, did you ever fall out with, with Kate at home or on game day? Or were you fairly relaxed? I tell you, coming up to, coming up to a game now, I, I, I wouldn't be much fun. I, I, I wouldn't be much fun because I, I tend to go into a shell. And uh, I suppose I'd be putting on my thinking cap. I'd be envisaging all the different scenarios. And certainly when I'd come home after losing a match, just stay away. Like I, cause I, I wouldn't, I took defeat very, very badly. And actually my daughter, Michelle is probably very similar to me. And uh, I just wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't want to talk about it at home. I wouldn't, I just say nothing. I go into my shell and if people say, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you talking? Because you'd be hurting inside. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, when you talk about a big match. There's probably 80 train sessions going to that. In, 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 in the year you're playing, but there's probably 800 transitions going into it for the 10 years before that. So I'd be hurting. Coming up to a match, I wouldn't be saying very, very much. I'd always like to think I wouldn't make any predictions before the game because I don't think you should put unnecessary pressure on the team, on yourself. But after the game is over, when the game has gone badly, I certainly would go into a shell and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be much fun. I found, you know, in my time in Westmead, coming back, it was always going to training or coming home from training for a two and a half hour spin each way. So I always had time to reflect on the way up, even to, even to, to a training session or a match. You could reflect on the way up. And, and I always felt the team talk was very, very important. And the talk after the game was very, very important. And likewise, I mean, you would have, you would, I would have rang you myself several times on the way to training, or Michael Welsh or the other selectors as well. I found the time in the care, going to a game or coming home from a game, was when you could, I had, I had a hands-free on, uh, on the care. I could talk to selectors, talk to people one-to-one -one and get a good feel for it. But... Again, going back to what I said, uh, when we'd be beaten, if we lose a game, particularly if we lost a game we could have won, I certainly wouldn't be much fun. 
No, and, and, and me neither. Um, we, I, I can remember a, an awful lot of occasions sitting down after after in the dressing room or even in the, in the Annabrook Hotel in Mullingar and it would be myself and Michael Walsh and yourself and Jimmy O'Grady and we'd be after. We were lucky though that we didn't have too many losses to, to dwell on, did we? No, we had some great times in Westmead and uh, of all the jobs I ever had, if you were to ask me, the most enjoyable, uh, I suppose the Waterford ladies was, was special, but the Westmead job was so enjoyable because you, know, you were dealing with you know, people from, from 100, 150 miles away. And uh, they were a really good group of lads and uh, really good management teams as well. And I had, you know, different selectors over the years. And uh, I always had Michael Welch by my side, who was a man I put my life on. I think he was a, he was a really solid guy. But we wouldn't, as, as you're right, we'd go back to Yannabrook, we'd have a cup of tea and we'd sit down and we'd assist. We'd maybe plan the next training session. Or we might, if things weren't going wonderfully well, we might meet early and plan it as well and see what we're going to do because... You've always got to look at the different scenarios. And you, I, I'd like to think that any management team, it is the, it is the duty of any management team to prepare a team as well as they can. And that, has, that doesn't happen by accident. I mean, if fellas are going to commit a huge chunk of their lives to any setup, they deserve the best it can be. So those meetings we would have had before games or after training sessions, I would feel would be very, very important. And, you know, when, and when the game is over, you, you take what you can from it. And then you've got to move on because the most important thing when the game is over is the next training session on Tuesday night. Yeah. What did you do to relax, Michael? Did you, did you play golf or did you, did you read books or, or uh, watch films? Or what, what, was, what was your go-to, go-to thing to relax and stop thinking about the game and the training or whatever? I like to watch sport. I like to watch good sport. I mean, I, I, good golf. Now, I, I, on a Sunday night, you know, I like, or maybe Saturday, the, the big American tournaments, you know, coming Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, particularly Saturday and Sunday night. I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to sit down at home and watch it and, and watch the end of it because the concluding stages are always when you're watching the best players in the world. I watched a bit of soccer, although I've gone off soccer now because the money those fellas are getting, are, you know, is, is ridiculous. And and uh, do a little bit of reading. Wouldn't do enough of reading, but I suppose... The biggest one of all is maybe on a Sunday night we'd meet with a little corner in a pub here in Ballymac, Ducey's Bear, or maybe I might go to the Bridge Bear a few miles over the road, sit down with a couple of friends and have a chat. And particularly after a championship game at club level, you know, you'd have different fellas offering different opinions. And some of them might be at the match and some of them might be at the match, but sit down and have, I wouldn't be a, I wouldn't be a drinking man. I'd be, you know, a couple of pints would be, would be, would be my lot. But sitting down with a few friends after the match and, and, uh, and you know, having a chat, but... I always felt it was a great satisfaction, even coming back from Olden Gare. If you won a match, just sit into the car and drive home. It was something like 200 kilometers, but it felt like about two kilometers because when, you, when your team is paid well when you've won, there's a great satisfaction. And I got that for me, that was really relaxation in itself. You're only after saying there that you're, you're sort of gone off soccer. I wouldn't see that now every Sunday night or Monday morning when you text me to annoy me about Liverpool. Well, you see, Alan, you have the misfortune to be a Manchester United supporter. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's, when, when things were going well for United, there was a few friends of mine around the country who was giving me a bit of stick, so I'd like to think I'd return it. But I certainly wouldn't lose any sleep over it anymore. I've been, I've been to a good few matches now. I've been to Anfield a few times, and I've been to Old Trafford, and I've been to Wembley in the Millennium Stadium. And, and uh, to me, when I see these soccer players playing, it's not what they can do amazes me, but what they can't do. You get you get a fellow who's earning two hundred thousand a week and he can't use his second foot, or you know some of the things he, do, he does wrong. But you know I, I, I like a bit of it. I like to see it played well. I mean Liverpool, Man City, the last couple of years have been outstanding, 
And uh, in fairness, United had a great team. And I always liked Alex Ferguson because I felt when he was in charge of the team, the players did, did more or less what they were told. And I don't mean to sound in a, that in a dogish fashion, but the bottom line is the boss is always going to be the boss. And I'd say, you're looking at Jürgen Klopp there, he looks like a really nice fella, but apparently the dressing room, his word is law. That's the way it's got to be. But other sports as well, I would like, a bit, like to watch a bit of rugby. I was a great Muhammad Ali fan over the years. And it's pretty way, the way things turned out from the finish. I would like, I like to watch any kind of good sport. And I got great satisfaction. I mean, my three daughters would have played football for water for many, many years. And Shane is a decent player as well. So, And my wife is a decent player. So, you know, and I've nephews and other people who well belong to be that I know. And I suppose my own two clubs here, the Maryland, former water, two senior clubs. So I like to go to games, maybe sit up on the back of the stand and, uh, and watch games. So watching games, even, even when I'm not involved, has always been a great source of, of relaxation for me as well. You're only after uh, mentioning Michelle there and, and, and so forth. She's breaking into the media game at the minute. Uh, you obviously, no more than any of the rest of your kids, you're obviously very proud of her and Shane currently on the, on the Warford Senior Hurling panel. But uh, I can remember when I was managing the Westmead ladies, we... In uh, 2011, when we won the All-Ireland, we went down and we went unbeaten all year. But I remember we went down uh, the only game. We went beaten, unbeaten all year bar one game. It was against Waterford and we went down. And it was the first time I had actually come across Michelle Ryan. And she actually beat us on her own. And I remember saying to you when I came up here first, I know I've seen a lot of ladies footballers down through the years, but this girl is probably the best I've ever seen. Yeah, look, I suppose I don't. I don't want to to, uh, to uh, say she had a big advantage. She was six foot tall for a start, but she was she was a real she was a good footballer and she had a great football brain and she was she she was she was an accurate forward. She could get scores. She could also bring people into the game. She was good to lay off the ball. But I think probably what people wouldn't know about her was probably probably her greatest trait is you know in the huddle. She wouldn't say much in the huddle, but when she talked in the huddle, everybody listened because she she'd make an awful lot of sense and. Just going back to the, the, the management, or the, the, uh, the media section, you know, she's, she's with TG Carr. She's been in a few small bits with, for WLR as well and other stations as well. I think it's something she'd love to do more of. And uh, yeah, she's, she's very good at it. She's an Irish teacher anyway, which probably gives her a small advantage. But she'd be great to do her homework because she'd be, she'd be checking out. As, she wouldn't just walk into a, to a match. I mean, she was, this weekend she was in, uh, in, in Tralee on Saturday and she was in... in uh, in, in Parnell Park on Friday with TG Carroll. She loves that. But she would all, always believe and do the homework further than, you know, finding out about players and the data on players. She wouldn't just expect to take a chance to turn out right. She loves it and hopefully she'll get more over to in the future, but she really, she really does enjoy it. Dealing with county boards, Michael, what steps do the weaker counties need to do to develop and bridge the gap to the bigger counties, do you think? First of all, I mean, number one is coaching. And, uh, you know, the biggest difference is, I mean, you, you got, your coaching has got to be absolutely spot on, particularly in the weaker counties. Uh, even counties like Waterford, I mean, you've got to go back, you've got to start at, 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 in, in, in national school. You've got, to, you've got to develop the love of the game there and the skills of the game there. It's a very fine line because if it's made too competitive, then people lose interest. But it'd be good coach at club level and work with the ball and work with the skills of the game. Yeah. And uh, I mean, right around you take a county like Westmead, where you know you have a small pool of holding players. Westmead can't afford to miss out on any on any player because they need they need the best players in Westmead to make the, to make the, to make the breakthrough or to make to have a good side. So in, at club level and under underage level in your clubs and 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 the national school secondary school as well, it's all part of a package. 
And and in fairness, when I was with Westmeath, they were getting funding from the Leinster Council. And to get the funding, you had to be accountable, which I liked. We went to meetings in Port Leash. I think Nicky Brennan was the, was, the, was the brainchild behind it. And Westmeath would get a grant every year. But they got to explain where that money went. There's no, there's no good firing money at something. I expect to, to correct it. It's, it's, it depends on where the money is spent. So for me, it's about coaching. It's about developing the players. It's about proper programs. And both walking your way up along, and also the coach and the clubs. And you see, I have, I have a bit of a bugbear about this. That for the last 30 years or so, the GA have been dishing out certificates. You went, you did your coaching course, and you got a certificate. Did, did the certificate mean you could coach a team? Uh, I'm not interested in certificates. I'm interested in can I go down to the pitch and take that team for the next six months for training sessions? And improve the players. So a cert won't do that. Some guys are good at passing exams, but they mightn't be. You know, mightn't be good at, at coaching and managing and training teams. So it's all about proper coaching, proper structures, proper development. By all means, spend money on it, but make sure the money is spent wisely. Yeah, accountability for the money that you're you're putting into it, isn't that it? Exactly. In terms of going forward, Michael, another crack at intercounty management would that be of interest to you? I, I don't know. I often say no. Look, I, I suppose you should never say never. I, I had, you know, when you think, I know I was involved with Waterford for two years, with me for four years, but I was involved with Waterford Ladies for 25 years. So, and I was involved with, with, with Justin McCarthy for another year and a half. So I would have been involved in inter-county management for t- over 30 years. It's a long time. But look, you know, if the right, if, if some, if, if a county came along to me, I'd certainly consider it. Don't know what I get into it again. But you never say never. Never say never. No, exactly. Other managers that you respect in, in, in other codes that you would have learnt off, maybe even any other sport at all, M- Michael, who were managers that you looked up to? Well, I suppose, just to touch briefly in the GA, I mean, people tell me managing Kenny is easy. That's probably the toughest job in sport. Managing. I would, so I would have great admiration for Brian Cody. I would have. You know, I'd, I'd like to think, you know, I, I had some serious battles with Davey on the line as well, Davey Fitz, but he's, he's a good manager. He's proved himself over the years. And, you know, even Waterford, and with Westmead, we had a few little, I wouldn't say onions, but we had some, some good fun. But, uh, you know, I suppose I would have watched me go to where I would have seen Kerry train. I had a great respect for what Cyril Farrell did in Galway. And Galway had a tradition of, of, of losing all the finals and semi-finals. He went down there and won three all with Galway. I think they won four or five finals or maybe 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 even six finals, maybe. So, you know, for the GA party, Sean Bilden and Mead was incredible. Uh, I suppose you'd have to say Jim Gavin in Dublin, even though the resources he had were unreal. But if you want to look at other sports, I suppose... Joe Smith in rugby for Ireland. I thought he, you know, I thought he he did a great job. Uh, obviously Alex Ferguson because you know what he what he did over the years with United and not easy to manage United as well. What I liked about him was he wasn't afraid to send the fella packing. Even he could be a top player, but if he wasn't if he wasn't buying into the system or if he wasn't pulling his weight, Alex would never be afraid to show him the door. Fellas like Bob Paisley with Liverpool before him. I like Klopp, I think, and Guardiola, but I, you know. There's a lot of good managers out there. Even, you know, might be might be in charge of the Ryder Cup team in golf or whatever. Management isn't easy. There's, the manager carries the can for everything. When the team is beaten, the manager gets the blame. When the team wins, the players get the credit. I've always felt that managers, you know, some, even sometimes they get too much credit for winning, but they certainly get too much blame for losing. But uh, it, it's a tough business. It's a tough game. Some I've always enjoyed but you know, in various other sports, I mean, it might be it might be the the, the guy training, uh, you know, the boxer. It might be he's not the manager. But he might be the coach. But there's, there's a lot of people out there who have great respect for him. They, they they take a chance and put their, and put you know their their shoulders to the wheel. 
I would have met fellas like Jimmy Barry Murphy over the years and I had good respect for him as well. And, you know, even fellas like Eddie Brennan going to Leash, you'd have to admire that because he's you know, putting, their, putting their head on the block and, and uh, a lot of different fellas around. And even at club level as well, you know, it's been a lot of really good club managers and there might only be the fellas looking after the, 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 the club under, under 10 team, which is the most difficult team of all because you have not alone have your mammy and daddy giving out, you have granddad and grandpa and granddad and grandma giving out as well. So great respect for managers because they always you know, always put their head on the block and they always, there's a huge amount of time goes into it and there's a lot of sacrifice going to it. And sometimes you don't see any results. But, uh, you know, I remember when I did my first coaching course back in Dungavon in 1978, Ned Power, God be good to him, Ned is the one for goalie in 59 when they won the All-Ireland. He was a chap from Dungavon who went to Tallow. Tallow is about probably 20 miles out the road from Dungavon, a small little, a small town, border, stroke, big village it was. But when he went to Tallow, things were, Tallow were really struggling and he, he improved Tallow so much that they came from being a very, very average unit team to go went up and won three senior championships at Waterford. That was his legacy as a Garcella. But remember when he was talking to us about coaching when one of those coaching courses and he said, he said, you'll take your lads for training and you'll show a particular guy something. And you might show it him 50 times and he doesn't get the hang of it. And then one night, it will all come together and you'll see him execute that skill with perfection. And you will feel that you've won the sweepstake for the, for the younger people who don't know what the sweepstake was, the Irish sweepstake was there before the lotto. It was, was, was probably the, the forebearer bearer of the lotto. So you'll feel so good when somebody, that you, when you've been trying to teach somebody something or show somebody something, when they'll do it right, you'll feel so good you'll be on cloud nine. Yeah. Um, just uh, going to, to things like that, it's, it's, it's all about, um, my opinion on management is and coaching is, it's all about making sure that when you're finished that nearly everybody you're after coaching is after improving some lads might improve 10 20 30 percent and some lads might only improve one percent but it's all about walking away from that team knowing that you have improved them as a team and nearly more importantly improved them individually you're right alan i mean at the end of the day it's about first of all being honest and, and, and putting a good setup in place and then to do your very best a manager's job or a coach's job, I always feel, is to get the best out of the group of players he has. Now, for that to happen, it means that you've got to improve. You've got to improve the player. And some fellas have a lot, as you, as, you, as you alluded to there, some people have more room for improvement than others. But to get the best out of everybody, to get everybody playing to their maximum, you know, for some fellas, that could be scoring 10 points in a match. For another fellas, might be only coming on and, and, and playing 10 minutes. So it might be, might be, you know might be defending and might be keeping your corner forward scoreless and maybe not hitting the ball yourself, but you're dead right. That's what it's all about. When you leave the session or when you leave the team, the idea is to leave the team in a much better place than you found it and to, have got them to, get, and to try and get players to get the maximum out of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. You've come across some um, big characters, brilliant managers on the line, like the likes of... Brian Cody, Davy Fitzgerald, and a few lads like that. Who was the hardest person to manage against on the line? Like, who is the person that you, let's just say, thought that, geez, I need to get the better of this lad on the line, or he, like, you thought he might influence the referee or influence the linesman, and you just felt right. Well, I may put my mark here now. 
Well, I suppose, you know, there's a couple of different facets to this. I mean, we take the ladies' football angles, first of all. I mean, when we were trying to break through in ladies' football, we came up against Kerry, one of the greatest teams of all time, with a very shrewd mentor called Mick Fitzgerald. Mick was a Galway man living down in Kerry. Not alone had he a very good group of players, but he was also a very, very shrewd individual himself. And I remember we played Kerry in eight major games in four years. When we won the June in 86, which is incidentally was the first game ladies football ever played in Crow Park, we stepped up to the senior grade. In the next four years, we played Kerry in eight major games. We played them in four Munster finals. We played them in three National League finals and National League semi-finals. Eight major games. And they beat us in every one of the eight of them. Not alone are they a good team, but Mick Fitz was a very shrewd guy as well. Eventually, we got the hang of beating Kerry. We beat him in 91. I think they only beat us once in the next 15 years. Going back to Monaghan ladies, you know, the fellas like Mickey Morgan up there, they were, you know, Paul Swift, they were shrewd guys as well, so we had some great battles with them. I suppose it goes to show that, you know, I mean, I mean you know, the, the standard of the game, the way it improved. And of course, when you come up against Cody, but the problem when you, when you played against Kenny, it wasn't about being against Brian Cody. You were probably against the greatest team ever played the game. And, uh, you know, and Davy as well, I enjoyed the challenge against Davy because... You know, Davy always wore his hat on his sleeve, and you get, I often found you, you'd be trying to get, do a bit of banter with him, trying to get him wound up. But you know, there have been a lot of different guys over the years, and uh, but sometimes it wasn't the manager was the problem. It's the fact that the manager's team was so good. Now, that might be down in part to what the manager had done with the team. But, you know, so, some great characters, lucky enough to manage, you know, against some of the, some of the best guys, but also to deal with some of the best players. I mean, I remember... I was asked to manage the Munster hurling team in, in, in 2007. And uh, Waterford were entitled to manage the Munster team because they won the Munster Championship, and Justin didn't have any interest in it. So I, I being a selector, I was asked to take it on. And, you know, I met my two selectors, a fellow called Alan Cunningham, who's now the Limerick hurling coach, and a fellow called Tony Hickey from Limerick. And we sat down, we decided we'd train for the Munster, for the, for the individual series, which was probably unheard of by 2007 because it had, it, it had the, the tournament had gone down the ranks. But, I met those those monster players, and uh, I've always feel when you're talking to players, you must try and make an impression in the first two sentences. So we had a players meeting, and uh, I think it was in Limerick with the players meeting, and, and I said to them, lads, I said, not many fellas want this job, but I want this job. So actually, we trained for it for uh, seven or eight weeks, and uh, another good story coming back to you about, about Manchester United again, Alan coming up, but uh, okay. we trained for about eight weeks, and we ended up we we, we beat Leinster semi final, and then we we, we beat uh, Connacht. In the final, I remember it was against Joe Lockdown in that particular match. And Joe was in charge of Connacht because he was the Galway manager. I think he had a little bit of a battle on the sideline as well. But a very funny story about uh, Alan, Alan Cunningham, who would be, you know, as I said, I think he's Alan Cunningham is dead, but he would have been a good coach. But we were talking one night in Tullus and uh, uh, he went over to uh, see Manchester United training and uh, he said, they came into the Cliff training ground in you know in in uh, in Old Trafford, and uh, they all left the doors and their cars open. He he was fascinated by this. Like they walked in, opened the door, their car walked away, left their car. And he was wondering what's this about. So about ten minutes later, a bus comes in. A load of fellas get out of the bus. They all take the cars away to be validated. And he was telling us this story. That we were having a meal above in Tullus after training, and uh, John Gamble and and Sean Ogohalpin were at the table. And things weren't going great in Cork at the time. <laughs> I remember John Gamble saying, by God, he said, that's amazing. He said, I think Cork, there was some story about Cork training in a, in a care pack at the time. I don't know how true that was now. But John Gamble said, 
When we come into training, he said, when, 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 we, when we come back out, he said, well, I wonder if I'll still be there. <laughs> so it just goes to show the difference, the difference between professional sport and amateur sport. And uh, But like I, I go back to the managers thing again, a lot of good managers, a lot of fun, a lot of battles along the way. And I suppose anytime you lose, you know, you're you're you're, you're hurt and you're 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 knocked and you feel, you know, could you have done something different? But some enjoyable times along the way as well, some great moments and got to be got to rub shoulders and be friends with fellas I still keep in touch with. Some, you know, Anthony Cunningham was another guy who was with Galway and, and uh, fellas like that just keep in touch with him and, and uh, try and keep a friendship. Yeah, it's 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 nearly a family, isn't it, uh, Michael? Like he- like I know that down through the years I got to know a lot of people let it be through the club or through West or through the county and you sort of stay in contact with them and it's it's great to have a bit of banter it's great to be able to ring them and to have a chat and uh, and maybe just chat about something that you wouldn't be used to talking about if you were at home or even within your own county so it's a, it's nearly like a big family more than anything else isn't it you know one of my one of my favorite memories in management was uh when De La Selva beaten, the following day, I was sick after that match because, you know, I mean, and I was a lot worse a couple of weeks later when, 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 when Clarence Bridge won, not won the final by about 15 points. But the following day after that match, I was so disappointed. Yes, you know, I, I drove to a match down in Wexford, water playing National League game, and I just, my phone rang. And I know came up on my phone. It was actually Michal Dunho who went on to manage Galway later on. And uh, and he he went to the trouble of looking up my number and ringing me the following day after we losing the big match and like he was prepared for all the finals. So I suppose managers are a special breed, but I'd like to think there's a, there's a good deal of respect amongst us for one another as well. And you know, and things like that are are are, uh, are very important. I remember when the Waterford team when I discussed the Waterford hurlers, Jimmy Barry Murphy rang me at home one night and also fellas like Sherlock Dan text me and don't look really people like that as well. So there is a special bond and there's a special. You know, I think we're we're a different breed, but I suppose in the heat of battle when the game is on, it's all at war. But I'd like to think when the game is over, when everybody is cooled down, and that might take a day or two. You know, I'd like to think we're we're, we're most of us that would be good friends as well. I wouldn't I wouldn't actually know Michal Dunahu well now. To be fair, I would never have spoken to the man, but I would know Noel Larkin who um who coached that Galway team along with Michal Dunahu. But doesn't that just go to show the mark of, of a man that's after training a team to win the All-Ireland semi-final and to go to the, the realms of getting the, a number of the managers after beating the day before and giving them a ring and, and just maybe consoling them more than anything else. Like That just goes to show the, the mark of, of GA men in particular, but in particular Michal. Absolutely. I mean, and uh, as I said, I got to know him a bit better over the years and an absolute gentleman who was in charge of Galway a few times when Westmead paid him. And, uh, you know, I, I dropped him an odd text or he might drop me a text, but an absolute gentleman and, uh, you know, a top guy and went to Galway and won an all-out with Galway and didn't step aside on his, 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 his analyst now the Sunday game. And he's always a fellow I feel, you know, is, is such a decent chap. And uh, some people in, in the heat of battle seem to get, you know, I suppose we all get carried away. I would have got carried away myself, but he always seemed to be so measured. And so controlled. That doesn't mean he's not as passionate as everybody else, but he's, he's in, in, in any language. with it in a different way. Just on going back, just one last question, Michael, about preparing a team. Going back on, on my own playing career for a second, we obviously had Paddy and Tomas and Luke Dempsey. And one thing in particular that I felt very good that we used to do every year is we used to do one-on-one sessions with the players at the start of the season. And basically, if you had a problem with the management or if you were you pissed off that something didn't go right for you or decision didn't go your way or that you weren't playing. You weren't. But to give you the opportunity to have a chat 
and you could ask them what do you need to improve on but you also as a player got a chance to throw a few things at them that you thought could be improved on or maybe the way that they consulted with players or maybe that they, they could give you a ring about something if a, if a decision wasn't going your way in terms of starting or not starting. But I also, I always felt that that was a good thing for the management to do. Would you agree with doing that sort of thing, Michael, or would you just tend to talk to the players in, as a group? No, I, I like doing one-to-ones and uh, like... Uh, wouldn't say I'd have a set of ground rules for, but I would all I, I would be all for. But I would say to players at the start of a one to one, you look, don't don't come to me with a litany of excuses. You know, be honest with yourself, and we'll be honest with you. And if you think there's something that that I need to be to get better at as well, I'm not afraid to hear it. But sometimes, you know, I would have spoken to other managers who would have used it, and they would have felt that you know that the players were were coming with a litany of blame of the apportioning the blame game. So I would like to think it's very very good. It's very important. But there need to be some kind of ground rules that you know will will uh, ensure that first of all that you will benefit as a manager from finding out about the player, but also that the player will benefit as well. And, and I would I would have invited players over the years. Oh, many teams we had, we would have picked a group of three or four players and sat them down, had a chat with them, and ask them to think, ask them what do the management need to do to improve as well, because. At the end of the day, you know, we're all learning. We're all in it together. We're all for the one purpose. We're all of the one set of goals. Uh, as you said, uh, look, you know, I, I firmly believe that. And sometimes when you get a player into a room, and what, what I think is important is not to meet, meet them with a committee. Maybe one or two guys meeting them. Justin would have been would have done that with Waterford, and I was a Waterford manager as well. When I was a Waterford selector with him, he would have been into one-to-ones as well and uh, talking to the players. But... You know, I mean, certainly if you don't know, as I said already in this in this conversation, if you don't know what's happened inside the fella's head, if you can't find out exactly, you can you, maybe you you won't be able to make that player tick and get the best of that player, and that's where the one one to one comes in. It it enables you to to learn more about your player, and the more you know about your player, the, the first of all, the, the better chance you have of getting the best out of him, and also I think a lot of the time as well will make him feel better because maybe he'll feel there's, there's a listening voice out there and maybe he feel you know it will, will motivate him particularly if, if you if you can uh, click click with a few things that maybe might improve him as, a, him as a player as well no player likes to be corrected in, in front of everybody and no player likes to get you know admonished in any way in front of everybody so maybe the, maybe the one-to-one is a way of you know having your chat with him tell him exactly where he stands finding out more about him and hopefully at the end of the day to lead to better results for number one, the player. And if, if the players improve, then the team will improve. Yeah. I think I think a lot of young managers will have to take it on board that there is an awful lot more things going on outside of the game, outside of the training session with these players. And maybe if you can tap into some of them with some of the players and maybe see what they're going through and what they're not going through, that uh, it will be easy to manage them at the end of the day. Absolutely, and you. I mean, you, I mean, first of all, your inter-county level, and even at club adult level, probably you have the youngest section of your players who are in college. A lot of them fellas might be trying to uh, to marry and go to college in Dublin or going to college in Limerick or Cork, and traveling back home to training maybe midweek, and well, they've got to pass exams. And you know, and I have, I have four kids who went to college myself, and uh, I suppose a lot of the time, you know, time management is very very important and. You know, those young people are, they're no different than anybody else. They're usually cramming everything into the last couple of weeks before the exams. 
and you know you might be able to help with team with with with, with their time management, which is very very important. And then you move up along, and your fellows who have finished college, they now have a job. They have a few quid in their in their pocket. There's a chance to socialize. There's a chance to have a good time. So you've got to try and find a balance there. And then, of course, you have the older members of your panel, some of them who are married and maybe have kids and have mortgages. So, you know, there's, there's a whole different set of scenarios. And, uh, you know, you've got to try and get the best out of the whole works, get everybody, you know, working together and put a structure in place that that enables players to flourish yeah. and, able, and deal with all the different scenarios. Absolutely. Uh, one, I, I want to ask you about one thing in particular in uh, in just a second. But uh, if you were to pick three current players and three former players, as in the best players in the country, maybe let's go with the former players first. Um, who would you, if you were to pick lads over that are finished playing, that are retired, that you would class as three of the best players you ever saw? Who would it be? Well. I mean, the first player jumping out at me is JJ Delaney, Kilkenny. Because, I mean, he, I would have watched him very, very closely over the years. He was, first of all, I think he was only about five foot ten. He played his, his early days, a lot of his early days, his holding was done as wing back, and then he went back full back. And, I mean, he was five foot ten, so people would have said, you know, he's not an exceptionally big guy, will drop high ball down on top of a six foot four guy. But for some reason, JJ always seemed his timing was so good. His defending was so good. Then he went back full back when Old Hickey retired when Old Hickey was moved on from Kilkenny. He always gave about an eight and a half out of ten performance. I think we look back into that hook against Tipperary in one of those Alan finals when he came from nowhere, seeing to hook a guy. He was an absolutely incredible player. From a more of a point of view, I mean, I I I think Ken McGrath was the best player I ever saw playing Waterford. Ken McGrath came on the team first as an 18-year-old. He was a minor. He made his championship debut down in Welsh Park. In 1996, at wing forward as a minor, and then he moved to uh, he played centre forward. I remember him playing in in in, in Parkhaven against Tipperary. He actually got injured in that game. He was full forward. I think he was playing on Philip Maher before he got injured. And he threatened to win the game on his own before he got injured. And in later years, then he when we moved back to via midfield back to centre back, when all the awards in 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 in, in defence, in midfield and in attack, he was an absolutely incredible player. I suppose you know. Over the years, there have been so many good players in so many different counties. Cock had some great players as well. People like Tom Cashman was, was a really, really good hurler. And, and, uh, but JJ Delaney, certainly for me, would, would be you know right up there with the very best on, on, a, on a great team. Ken McGrath as well. And also, I should, should be remember John Milan. Like John Milan was an exceptional player. I saw him at club level as well, and he was a very committed player for his club and top-notch guy. And won, I mean, he won five All-Star Awards without winning an all Ireland medal. That's, that's an incredible stat in itself. So, you know, he'd be right up there. But there have been so many good players right around the country. And I've always enjoyed watching good players. If you're testing about Colman players, I wouldn't go any farther than my own club mate here, Jamie Barron. Jamie Barron's an incredible holder. Uh, won two All-Star Awards, midfield, went through a couple of injuries there. And he's back. I think he's at his best again now. He's about 27. I remember coming in here. He's, he's, he's great friends of my son, Shane. I remember coming in here to our house when he was five or six years of age, maybe 10 years of age. With a, he, never, he always had a hole in the ball in his hand and a top guy. His brother Thomas is a decent player as well. But in, in the current climate, you know, people like Jamie Barron, you know, is an outstanding player. And of course, you know, you go back to Limerick, Limerick I mean, Keane Lynch. I remember meeting Keane Lynch a few years ago. And I remember thinking, 
what a really down to work guy. People like Noel McGrath, Barreri, top guys as well. But there's a lot of there's a lot of good players. And that's the one thing I liked about the Railway Cup in the provincial series. You give you give people from the lesser counties. You had people, you know, in in, in Westmead. You had people like Brendan Murta playing with Leinster. You give people in the lesser counties a chance. Their their big day in the sun playing with and playing against some of the top players as well. But the great thing about the GAs is right around the country, there's a lot of top-class players. There's a lot of And I love watching the really good players. But above all, I love watching the guys who give 110% day in, day out. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we finish, um, I got a really good uh, message only a few weeks ago to tell me that the great Michael Ryan from Waterford is bringing out a book. Without giving too much away, fill us in. I don't know why bringing out the book, but anyway, I tell you just to fill you in briefly on it. Uh, last October in 2019, I got a text from a chap called Liam Hayes and uh, asked me would, would I be interested in looking at a proposal from, uh, I think his company was called Hero Books. You know, the only Liam Hayes I ever heard of was Liam Hayes that played for me. But he dropped me a text and I think it was on a Friday and I didn't reply to the text. But on Monday, I had another text. So I, I rang him back anyway. We arranged to meet in his, we were met in uh, Harrison Jockey and uh, he put a proposal to me and uh, he felt that, you know, there was a story worth telling and because of my involvement with so many different teams, ladies football, hurling and all the different facets of life. So I ended up anyway, he asked me to go away and think about it. I did. And uh, I went with it and uh, I must say I'm very happy. A, chap, a, lo- a local chap here beside me called Tomas McCarthy, who's a young journalist, does a bit of work for the news and stuff and for the, for the examiner and for WLR, he wrote the book and we met for about, I suppose we probably would have met 20 or 30 times and he put the story together. And I, the biggest single reason I did it was because, first of all, firstly and secondly, and maybe thirdly, <laughs> it was a chance for me to tell the whole world about the great ladies football players we had around here. And ladies football is always struggling for a bit of recognition. And we know we had some, we had some fantastic days at Waterford and my club here in Bally McCarvery, I mean, this, this, this club team won 10 all Ireland club titles in 12 years, which is an incredible stat, incredible. So we, uh, anyway, the book is, is currently can be got on Amazon. It won't be launched in the country until uh, until January because of the COVID. But I must say, Tomás did a great job on it, and I'm very happy the way it turned out. I'd like to think that it's an insight into maybe ladies' football, Waterford Hurling, Westmead Hurling, the LSL, Bullnahoe, and other teams I trained, and also to to my family life, and also to uh, to work, and you know, going to school, and a lot of, there's a lot of good. He did a great job, but there's a lot of humour in it as well, which I think is very very important. So, hopefully, you know, people will enjoy. It. Anybody decides to get it, as I said, it's available on Amazon already. Hopefully, people will enjoy it, and you know, even to talk about. I think Alan, you got to mention somewhere along the line there. And uh, people like Michael Welsh and all the people who who, uh, who I cross swords with and who I manage with and players I manage and all the friends I made through sport and the friends the friends I made in life in general. So you know I, I'm very happy with it. Good stuff and the very best of luck with. I'm 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 very sure that a lot of people in my own county will be buying it to to, to have a bit of a read and to maybe look at things that maybe and read up on things that we we didn't know about you. But I think the one thing you make clear there is that, and, I, and I'm only talking about it because I I actually managed the the Westmead ladies myself, and 
I think a lot of people tend to think, oh, ladies footballers, they, they, they won't do this and they won't do that, or other Camogie players for that matter. I have to say that the, the group that I trained, I, I can only talk about the group that I trained, they were, in terms of commitment and or anything like that, it was second to none. And these girls trained as hard, if not harder, than any men's team I was involved in. And any bit of... Um, any bit of silverware that they won or any anything that they got from the game, they thoroughly deserved every bit of it. And I'm pretty sure you'd say the same about the Waterford ladies. Absolutely. And I think it should be remembered, Alan, that you know you take county players, they're, they're getting the best of gear, they're getting they're getting meals, they're getting uh, travelling expenses. And they're, they're entitled to all that. But very often, I remember in the early days of Waterford, we all paid to go on the bus. You know, we paid we our own meals, you know, we had everything. We had to buy our, almost buy our own gear. That's why I became chairman of the Waterford County Board to try and sort out things like that. But, and, and, and you touched on something else there. I mean, I, I always believe based on experience of dealing with, 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 with the ladies' playing sport, I, I think women are mentally tougher than men. They don't whinge as much. Maybe it's part of their makeup, what they go through in their own lives. But uh, they're very, very committed and, and uh, they're very talented as well. And I was even watching uh, the Waterford West Meat game, which was being streamed, that Camogie game. And, the level, the level of skill, you know, is, is in, in Camogie. Camogie's improved so much, ladies' football's improved so much. And 56,000 people in Crow Park they must be doing something right. So for me, as I said, that book was a chance to give an insight into how good and how, how those people trained and the great times we had along the way as well. Anyway, Michael, uh, every point that you made, hopefully a lot of young budding managers coming up will get a bit out of it. I'm pretty sure that if they, if they buy your book, that they'll learn a, a bit more along with it as well. And uh, I have to say that if there's, a, if there's a better and more genuine GA man out there, I have yet to meet him yet. You're, you're one of the men that I will constantly keep in contact with. I think we do talk to each other most weeks. Let it be you yep. abusing me about soccer or giving me a bit of grief or asking me how the lads in Westmead are doing. But uh, every time I talk to you, I thoroughly enjoy it. And and I think that uh, a lot of people around the country feel the very same way as I do. It's a pleasure, Alan, and thanks very much. Thanks very much, Michael. Uh, I'd like thank you everyone for joining us. And um, we'll be back again next week with a with another top celebrity uh, coach, stroke manager. We would like uh, today to thank our main sponsor of the show, Medell Healthcare, and the Well and More for sponsoring the location here today.